there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Sharp Money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw on VSIN, the sports betting network. Just underway on the Wednesday edition of Sharp Money. I'm Ben Wilson in for Patrick. Amal is here. We're watching a lot of tennis right now. We've got some sweats going on. We'll talk about our favorite plays coming up as well as some futures implications. Novak Djokovic threw in straight sets up to a minus 190 favorite on the men's side, which we'll discuss here in a little bit. Dustin Sweetelson behind the glass. Uh, a lot of people had a nice 4th of July, Amal. Not, not Angels fans, though. Tough day to be an Angels fan. Shohei Otani, blister. Leaves his start, not going to pitch in the All-Star game. This is right after Mike Trout breaks his hamate bone out six to eight weeks. Anthony Rendon leaves the clubhouse in crutches just to make, make matters even worse. So, yikes. At least it wasn't a, a Jason Pierre-Paul you know, fireworks incident. Yeah, Could have been exactly. worse. Lost a couple fingers there. Could have um, been worse, I guess. I, I think if you're the Angels at this point in time, and Dustin and I were talking about this, you've got to move on from Otani. You've got to make a trade. You've got to get something. Look, they, do you know what's going to look back? The Angels actually... They've had, after the World Series win in, what was it, 02, right? Mm-hmm. Everything has been downhill. Uh, everything has been downhill for them since that point in time. You have arguably the greatest player of the last couple of decades in Mike Trout, and you've done nothing with his tenure there. You have one of the worst signings of all time in Albert Pujols. I can tell you one thing. They should have told, told Pujols to bring his sauce guy with him when he got to Anaheim. Because to me, he got right off that sauce as soon as he landed there and he signed that contract. The Rendon contract has been horrible. Then you get... The most intriguing player to me in baseball since uh, Ichiro arrived in 2001, a guy who's must-see television. I, I will tell you, Shohei's amazing to watch. I've never had more fun watching a player than Ichiro. He, he was just absolutely electric. But Shohei's exactly like that uh, from the pitcher's mound, from the plate. Now he's got a blister on his hand, gives up five runs yesterday. He's injured. 
to me, guys, you've got to make a move. You're not going to win anything. I understand you're still within contention, but you got to look big picture. It's time for this team to rebuild. They have a depleted farm system as is. Uh, four back of the third wild card right now in the AL. Seven back of Houston. Uh, you have Houston and Texas right now there in the AL West. And here's what manager Phil Nevin had to say as far as how this blister actually happened last night. My understanding, you know, we're putting an acrylic nail on there because of where it's uh, cracked. So, and that might have just irritated the, the skin on the side of the finger. Um, just to felt like he didn't have command of his pitches going into the sixth. Um, we talked before he went out and he said he felt he felt good. He warmed up and he, he gave me a thumbs up out there. But, you know, obviously a few pitches in. When you try to get on some balls, it probably feels a little bit different. And, and it affected some pitches there, yeah. Okay, acrylic nail. Dustin, you have, you, you have experience with nails and manicures or no, is, that, like, is that an amal thing i like when the women i date though have long nails they could scratch my head oh so you're one of those you're one of those guys i don't know what that says about <laughs> it may be a thing uh <laughs> have either of you guys ever gotten a, a manicure or pedicure before mm-hmm. I, I do all the time all the time yeah how often probably once every eight weeks really wow. yeah i would not uh, my over under would have been like one like one and a half times a year for you but no about half a dozen times a year. So you you, you think oh. Otani's uh, issues could be solved by a good manicure, maybe? <laughs> I don't know, but I can tell you one thing. I was sitting there. You guys were talking about the injury Phil Nevin mentioned. And I was sitting there. I remember I covered a, a game one time. Stu Barnes took a puck or a stick to the eye. His eye looks like it's going to fall out. He comes back on the ice, plays the game, does the post game. I'm, st- I'm standing like literally a foot and a half from him do- interviewing him after the game. And I'm like, dude, I could, I don't know. There's not enough money for me to come back in this hockey game after what he went through. And these guys have a hangnail issue. And next thing you know, Hold guys, when you pitch though, your nail is digging into the ball. I, totally I understand that. I can tell you right now, if these were hockey players, the guys would be out there. No, no. Cause then you mess up your mechanics. You start overcompensating. You make it worse. You, you, he has to rest. What happened last night was he probably threw his splitter too much. And in the splitter, you have to dig in too much behind the seams. And that irritated it. That's part of the problem. He just needs to miss his next stop in the rotation and take a break from pitching. If it, if it was a hockey player, he would learn how to throw a knuckleball immediately yes. and fire seven shutout innings. That's probably what would happen. By the way, the Angels might be faking the injury. They want to make the move. This is the way to tell the fans that we're making the move. I yeah. don't know, right? I, yeah. mean, I like this conspiracy. Well, you I mean, you guys discussed it yesterday yeah. and how the odds have basically have just overnight. And you know, who, who would have thought he would actually have a blister injury come up in the very next start? But he's already come down now. I'm seeing him at DraftKings minus 800. They actually just added a prop yesterday afternoon. Otani versus any other player for AL MVP. Otani minus 800. Yes, any other player, five to one right now. I still think Otani's going to get it. I mean, what are we talking? Two weeks max plus. Don't forget, Dustin's brought up a great point with several injuries last week. He's talked about the fact that we're going into the All-Star break. So you're going to have five, six days right there where you're not missing time. So a great opportunity in terms of not impacting the MVP race. And it's, it's just now adding on to the fact that if there is a trade market for him, could he go NL? Would he, would he win an AL MVP even if he were to spend the second half of the year with a National League team? Or could he even win an NL award with a limited sample size despite the immaculate season Ronald Acuna is having? He's up to minus 350 now. I think that's the point where you, you, you supplement potential trade talks with now injury here. Yeah, absolutely. But look, if you're the Angels – your biggest concern is the future of your franchise. You've got to make a move, and you just literally should have a – they should have an auction. They should say, like, you know, listen, at Anaheim, we're going to have an auction on the day of the trade deadline. Give us your best offer. It's, it's like, you know, it's like when you go to a foreclosure. It's like the yeah. best offer, we're taking it. That's it, and call it a day. Is it weird that I think 
Dustin would make a great auctioneer. Just the, hoobada, habada, hoobada, habada, hoobada. No, because I pretend I don't see people I don't like. Okay. I, I, I could be bought. Like, I could def. If you came to me before, like, look, this guy's going to go against me. Get it to me at under this number. I will make sure it so, happens. Oh, so you're just, you're just circumventing all, all sorts of rules. I'm I mean, I, like, there is a world in which Otani, let's say the offer comes from an NL team, and he goes there, and he's healthy. And I got the one comp I always think of, this is the only time I can remember it. Like, I'm kind of, you know, thinking forward here. Let's yeah. say Otani goes to an NL team. But the 2008 CC Sabathia season, where he finishes fifth in the NL Cy Young voting With the in 17 starts. Yeah. He traded July 7th of 2008, was sixth in MVP voting, and he, obviously not a two-way player. Had led the league in complete games, led the league in shutouts that year in 17 starts. Be interesting if he came over in the National League and had a phenomenal year. Let's say he went like 10 and 0. Was he going to be MVP in both leagues? I mean, <laughs> well, because like here's the thing: what if he goes to a team like Miami or Milwaukee, who's like right there but not quite over the top? And give them a way to, to you know, win their – not well, Miami won't win their division. But Miami to become a higher wild card and then Milwaukee to, to run away and overtake uh, Cincinnati for the Central. Like, if he does that, he could be in the mix. I would just hope he gets traded to the NL, one, because I have tickets on everyone behind him in the AL already. But, two, maybe that would shorten up Acuna's odds a little bit because he'd have competition. And I just – Hammer Ronald Lacuna. Yeah, that's interesting. Ben, if you didn't know, but Dustin's like a ticket broker. He's got I, I, tickets in every section. I mean, it's, it's I, unbelievable. I love, yes, when I see Dustin's tweets, and it's like I have 18 different, uh, 18 different but they're tickets. they're all big odds. Like, I bet a little to win a lot. Yeah. I, I don't hate it. I mean, the thing, too, now is, like, now that that price or that, that option is up in some of these markets, like Otani versus anybody else, is it more bang for your buck to try to, to pick your way through the rest of the list there or just say, all right, you know what, five to one, that's, that's enough value? Because I, well, I, would, I would want more than five to one if I was betting on any other player versus Otani in that AL market. I, I just don't feel no, like I it's worth it. People. I would target yeah. people. Like, like Bo Bichette's a guy I bet 70 to one before the season started. He's still 65 to one. Amal and I keep talking about it. 40 to how, one now. Draft yeah, how Otani just killed my ticket on Bo Bichette. Bo Bichette is having an MVP caliber year across the board. Like this would play in any era as an elite season, yeah. but no one's caring about it because of Shohei Otani. Yeah, you're absolutely right. He's absolutely right about that. And when you look at some of these Bets. I think right now the market's gotten out of whack in some of these situations. It's hard to bet on Acuna because even though at minus 320 he's going to win this, I think the one concern you have is the injury area. And Acuna did get banged up a little bit recently, so that's always an area that you're looking at from a futures market. But I'm going to tell you one bet that I just saw right now that looks pretty intriguing to me. Seattle Mariners at 14 to one to win the uh, excuse me the American League West. This is the team that got hot last year in July. They've won the first two games of their three-game set in San Francisco, scoring six runs in each game. They have the pitching. They're capable. And they're only uh, seven back in the loss column, Ben. I think this is a team that's got a potential to make a run. I'm not saying that they will. But if you're looking for long odds on something that's not unrealistic, I think the Mariners are a possibility. Sometimes when you see some of these odds on teams, they're just so skewed in such a way that it becomes a bet that's not one you really want to take or make. Like right now, the Astros at one to one or the Rangers at plus 120, not that intriguing. But the M's, I mean, look, they could have a week like the Reds did, win 10, 11 in a row, and then you have the Astros and the Rangers go five and five in that week. Next thing you know, your odds are probably going to be plus 250. You can bet the other yeah. side and lock in a profit. Remaining strength of schedule for the rest of the year, Seattle with the seventh, tied for seventh easiest schedule the rest there of the way. Go. Not you know, This is usually the time of year where you start to look at that because we have half a season yeah. of data on it. I mean, Paul Sewald, they found, is a, a lockdown closer who has been great for them this year, and we've talked about from the start. Pieces have been there. And 
it's it's one of those things you kind of have been waiting for them to turn it around, but it's it's not like they have all sorts of you know managerial player issues in the clubhouse. It's just been things haven't clicked so far, and those are the types of teams I always look to potentially explode in the second half. Well, if you look at the odds right now, the Mariners are actually a shorter favorite to win the division than the Angels are. Um, they're still a dangerous team, and I, I have to tell you right now, you, when you look at the postseason standings at this point, you see the Rangers, Astros, two contenders, the, the American League Central you can throw out. And then at the American League East, you you see four teams potentially getting into the postseason uh, out of the out of that division. So, whichever ones you think can get in, I think betting a futures on the American League is a great play right now because I don't think Tampa is nearly yeah. what we saw when they started in April. You have to assume that that is going to come down at least to a degree back yeah. to earth. By the way, Seattle look five back in the wild card. You can get plus three sixty on them. I, I don't I don't hate that either. Just to make the playoffs, we will transition to our favorite topic of these three hours. It's Wimbledon, Ramal and I discuss next. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, Take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Sharp Money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw on VSIN, the sports betting network. Download the DraftKings app today, and new customers can bet $5 and get 150 bucks in bonuses instantly. Use promo code VSIN when you sign up. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for full terms and conditions. We have some breaking news inside the South Point Sportsbook Studio Mall. Dustin Sweetelson, allegedly childhood tennis player. Sound the alarm. This, is, this should be a bigger deal. Than... No, all power, no finesse, though, is the only issue. I know it comes as a surprise. <laughs> I was, thought I was more of a nimble that. athlete. <laughs> what, were you like some clay court, uh, you know? Oh, yeah? He, he lost his mic, but... he lost, Oh, come on. Ah, anyway. I'm aware. I just wanted to point that out that we... 
I mean, so, you know, that's some of the great, uh, great all quarter back in the day. All right, Yaron Weitzman joins us right now. We have to talk some uh, NBA offseason and some topics going on right now, especially what, what is happening in Philadelphia at the moment. We now have had a little bit of time since the James Harden trade request. So as Yaron joins us right now, NBA writer now for Fox Sport, he wrote a book, Tanking to the Top on the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, and, and a, great, uh, a great read if you've not checked that out. Yaron, thanks so much for joining us. As we stand now, James Harden has made – has made his his stance pretty clear. Having the player option, the opt-in for 2023, all expectations is that he will be dealt. You've covered GM Daryl Morey, though, for a, a quite a long time. How do you expect this actually plays out from a, just a timeline perspective? How quick can we expect a deal actually to get done here? Um, first off, thank you for having me. And I would expect not so quick that the first um... – the first, the the the, the how do I phrase this? The thing that would have rushed them early on was the changing of the league calendar to July first, and that would have been the old collective bargaining agreement, which, for a bunch of boring legalese accountant-like reasons, would have made it easier for the Sixers to pull off a trade under the old collective bargaining agreement before the NBA transitions. The fact that they didn't get a trade done in that early window kind of tells you there's no rush in these things, and. We know Daryl Morey, and we, we saw this, right, with the Ben Simmons thing. Like He's not going to be forced into making a deal that he doesn't want to make. Uh, so I think we're going like, to see some time here, because how do you create leverage is by holding out. Right now, everyone knows that James Harden wants to go to the Clippers. I'm sure the Clippers are aware of that, and I'm going to guess the offers are not great. Even, by the way, if the Clippers were willing to give everything that they had, like they're not giving up Paul George, they're not giving up Kawhi, it's Norman Powell, it's I guess Terrence Mann, some draft picks, like nothing great or nothing that you can really sell to Joel Embiid and saying, hey, here's our championship contender. So I think if you trade hard and you probably have to think of a third team or another deal to have in mind and you could sort of reroute that stuff for, um, you know, maybe send to Chicago, whatever, for Zach Levine, whatever it would be, um, which is all a long-winded way of saying I expect this to take some time. I don't think mm-hmm. Maury, Maury has shown us over the years that he's not going to be forced into making a trade on someone else's timeline. First of all, Yaron, I appreciate you joining us. But more importantly, when you look at uh, James Harden, how do you evaluate him in terms of you were a GM, whether you're the Clippers or the 76ers and Daryl Morey, what's your stance on him? Is he a guy to you that can really benefit your team or some of the ancillary things that come with James Harden too much of a detriment to be able to win with at this stage? Um, how about yes, right? <laughs> so the, uh, it's like it, he's, he's still really good, and we saw that from since last season and to me like that playoff performance that playoff series against boston almost summarized it where he wins you well the two or three games i'm forgetting that but he has these two or three spectacular performances where he's literally winning you games basically single-handedly against a great team and then there are those duds right and that is maybe i mean it's one of the weirdest playoff performances in terms of the series we've ever seen in terms of the uh upswing and downswing um Harden's still really good. The, the question with him, and it's a question we've asked with so many aging stars before, is are you willing to feed some of the spotlight and some of the, the keys to everything to somebody else? And Harden seems to – he did it last year with Joel Embiid, but he also made sure to publicly talk about very frequently how much he was sacrificing and how hard it was for him to do so. So for, that was, you know, we saw that was a, something he didn't necessarily love. Um, and the Clippers, I mean, the Clippers could really use a point guard and somebody can get them into their offense and things. Sorry, I got kids in the background. That's what happened. No, you're good. Um, for, for the Clippers, you know, they have, there's other guys they could really use a point guard to get them into things. Um, I'm really fascinated to see how James Harden feels 
when he's watching Kawhi go, you know, at the elbow for a long time, isolated. Or how Kawhi feels watching James Harden kind of dribble a ball into the top of the key for 30 seconds. So that, that to me will be fascinating. And again, right, now at least the odds on where Harden will play next year, you have Clippers minus 180 as the favorite on that, 76ers at plus 270 as your own Weitzman joins us right now. Follow him at your own Weitzman on Twitter. And I just wonder how this is going to impact the Joel Embiid situation now going forward where it has been made public that – there, there is a connection between Embiid and the New York Knicks, and you have to imagine like they are just waiting to pounce and waiting for something to kind of break down. So how weird was it to you that there were those rumblings like, oh, you know, the Knicks are going to be interested in Harden when it seems like this whole time, if something were to happen, it, it kind of breaks down within the walls of Philadelphia that like Embiid could very well be on his way out, could make that request, and the Knicks would be Team A to try and pounce, don't you think? Yeah, I I know there. Uh, the Harden thing I was dubious about for the Knicks. I mean, I know there there were well uh, connected reporters who said they were poking around. I also think this time of year, like language is always important. Um, and the thing I always say is like almost every team, and I'm slight, only slightly exaggerating, right? But almost every team is calling everybody about every hurt player, right? Like or checking in on things. Like that's what happens. So things could be technically true without them actually, like without the Knicks. The Knicks could be calling and saying, "Hey, what would it take to get James Harden?" As opposed to having a meeting as opposed to saying, hey, let's go all in. Cause like, you know, the James Harden, Jalen Brunson fit for one, forget the Embiid thing, the James Harden, Jalen Brunson fit would be a strange one for me. And honestly, if I was the Knicks, I wouldn't, I don't think they need James Harden. I think they're good with the ball-dominant uh, guards, right, who can score. I think they have other issues where I would, if I were them and I was saving up all these assets, I would use them for a different type of piece like Joel Embiid. So yeah, Embiid, that to me is the fascinating thing here. And the way I'm kind of looking at it, like, James Harden, what happened here is Daryl Morey knew that James Harden didn't have much of a market outside of Philly. Because of that, he put the squeeze on him a bit in negotiations and took a harder stance in terms of what they were going to offer. James, I know the Oilers Sixers are claiming they refused to negotiate before the legal tampering window opened. I guess you can say that, believe that, but that would only be the case if they knew there was no other team banging down the door. If they knew they were competing with another team, um, they would have definitely been going at it. Um, Harden got annoyed because of that. He opted in, and here we go, right? And asking for a trade. Um, and so Daryl Morey is really like, it's an incredible bet on himself, the idea that he can either convince James Harden to come back or that he can pull off some sort of, you know, transaction, uh, we, <laughs> some multiple transactions here to salvage Joel Embiid's prime. Because if things go bad and if he messes up and Harden goes and they get a junkie offer from the Clippers and they can't get a third star and things go poorly this year and they get swept in the first round because Embiid and Tyrese Maxey have no one else next to them. Like, it's very possible that Embiid could ask for a trade, and if that's the case, I think Maury would end up being remembered as the person mm-hmm. who sort of blew Joel Embiid's prime year. And I, I find it fascinating. To me, that's one of the more interesting things about this whole situation. Yaron, when you look at right now the Portland Trailblazers with the Damian Lillard situation, are these teams being held hostage by the agents of the players in the future saying, hey, look, we're not going to bring a guy to you in terms of free agency? Because... I don't even understand the fact that there's a conversation centering around, well, where does Dame want to go? To me, it should be Portland like, hey, Dame, we're sending you to Charlotte because this is the best trade package we got. And by chance, if we get an equal trade package we think is comparable, then we'll send you to a destination where you would prefer. So it's a couple of things. I, I get it. And I, I do think, I, I think it's a fascinating question. Like, what is there to gain for a team to quote-unquote, do the right thing, do right by a player, do right by agents. Like, is there actually something to gain? So, you know, you mentioned the book, Tanking to the Top, Sam Hankey, he was famous for saying, 
Uh, I, you know, I didn't care, and like I'll piss off Agent X because you know when star player wants to come to me, the agent's not gonna be able to say, oh, you know what, don't sign with them because they annoyed my client nine years ago, right? Like yeah. that would never happen, and that's what Sam Hinkie believes. Um, that being said, it, it's all game of leverage here, right? So like the Blazers aren't required to do anything, um, but Dame is exercising his leverage by saying or by making it clear he only wants to play with one team. If you are, to use your example, the Charlotte Hornets. Are you giving up all these assets for a player who you know doesn't want to be on your team, right? That's the gamble. So it's not that you have to do that, but it's that you're deflating the market a little bit and making, scaring off these other teams and saying, wait, I'm going to trade all my, everything I have for a player who we are worried doesn't really want to be here. Like that, that's a scary proposition. The other thing with the Blazers is I have trouble. They blew it. They blew this also. And I guess they kind of wanted Dame to ask out. I mean, they, they basically for this, this current uh, front office run by Joe Cronin, has basically for two years or three years, whatever it is, however long he's been in charge, been saying all the time, we want to win around Dame, we want to win around Dame, and while every action they've done is to the opposite. And that's fine. That's their prerogative. And it was probably the right move, you know, drafting Scoot at number three and not trading the pick or, you know, not trading Anthony Simons or Shaden Sharp, things like that. Um, but they should have also taken control of the situation last year or two years ago and traded Dame, and it would have been okay. Nobody would have been upset, and Dave would have been fine, and they could have gone on a massive package. So, to me, again, it's all about leverage in the different situations. And, yeah, I guess being held hostage, no, it's, just, it's all a game, right? It's all a game here. We're going to see who gets to win. Yeah, so, a long long path for this to play out as your own Weitzman joins us right now on Sharp Money. I still, one of my greatest regrets in life, Maul, I was behind Sam Hankey in the taxi line at NBA Summer League about seven years ago. He, got, he was a huge van. It was just him all alone. I should have just jumped in. I had so many questions to ask him. Should have just jumped in, but I didn't. I know your own would have because he wrote, he ended up writing a book <laughs> on the tanking to the top and the 76ers. Your own, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate the insight here in what has been a fascinating NBA offseason thus far. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I know Amal would have gotten in that van because Amal doesn't care. He just, what? you know. <laughs> He would have had a driver probably already set up. That's the, that's the other thing. I tell you one thing though. I like Sam Hinkie's philosophy. If you're not going to win a title, then you should be tanking to sure. get the first pick. Exactly. We have a baseball score that just went final. We'll update you on that and welcome in Brad Osmus to talk some Shohei Otani on the other side. This is Sharp Money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw on VSN, the sports betting network. Become a VEASAN Pro subscriber today and get a daily email recapping all the best bets from our show hosts and guests. You'll also get unlimited access to our VEASAN.com slash picks page, sort picks by sport, matchup, event date, and more. Check the top VEASAN experts leaderboard to view betting records, profit, and ROI and see which VEASAN expert has the hot hand. For VEASAN Pro picks, betting, splits, power ratings, plus 24-7 video access, become a VEASAN Pro subscriber today. Sign up now for only $19 at VEASAN.com slash subscribe. The one final we just have in Major League Baseball, the only day game today, Astros win, and they do cover on the run line. They were a giant favorite today, laying $2.35 consensus. They win 6-4 over Colorado. And Chase Anderson, who has basically been uh, been an auto fade, uh, to say the least there for Colorado, game goes over the 9 or 9.5 total. And Houston, not the only team in the AOS that we are talking about on the show today. Shohei Otani leaves his start yesterday with an apparent a blister on his finger, will not pitch in the upcoming All-Star game to talk more about Shohei, just the state of the Angels and the division as a whole. Brad Osmus is so kind to join us right now, former manager of the Angels, longtime big leaguer for nearly two decades, who was an All-Star back in 99, won three gold gloves as well. So, Brad, we thank you so much for giving us some time. Your first year as manager, Otani was coming off a Tommy John surgery, and you're seeing him now, certainly not as severe an injury right now, but it's at least giving the organization some cause for concern. With, with regards to Otani and how they're managing that inside the clubhouse, how much different is it with a player like him versus your standard fourth, fifth starter on a roster? 
Well, you know, when I first got to the Angels, I was a special assistant in 2018 and managed in 19. And 18 was the first year Shohei was there. And they really, 18, end of 18, I think he has uh, Tommy John, doesn't pitch in 19, only DHs. But from the get-go, I think it was a, kind of an easy rollout. Like, they didn't want to overwhelm him. Um, you know, he didn't pitch the day before, or he didn't hit the day before after he pitched. And they kind of kind of long played it. I think the goal was to get him where, to where he is now, playing all the time, both positions. Um, but that being said, looking at today, the, uh, anytime a guy with this type of ability and the, and the impact he has on his team and the opposing team gets even a blister, it's a concern. Brad, when you look at this Angels team right now, they're sitting in third place in the American League West. The American League feels pretty wide open. If you are in that front office, are you looking to make a move with trading Shohei Otani and getting a great haul back, or do you let him stay on the roster for the rest of the season and then hope to be able to re-sign him in the offseason? I mean, this is, this is a, you know, Perry has one of the most difficult decisions right here, and then maybe Artie Moreno will make the decision for him, but um, especially with Trouty going down, yeah. it's—I'm not really sure what they should do. If they're in the hunt, it's been such a while since the Angels made the playoffs. You want to see Trout, you want to see Otani in the playoffs. Uh, you know, from what I've read, the timetable on Trouty is six to eight weeks, mm-hmm. uh, which brings them back in September. Uh, It's—you know—I guess you really this to me is a eleventh-hour decision. You, you get to the last week of July, you see where you're at. You see where you're at in the division. You see where you're at in the in the wild card uh, hunt, and you make a decision. Because if if you if you go all the way through and don't re-sign him, um, you lose the most talented player, in my opinion, in the history of baseball, and get nothing back. Um, obviously, if you do re-sign him, nothing lost. Uh, but if you don't re-sign him, you could have had, like you said, you probably can get seven players for him. I would think. Wow. Yeah. And when you think about the state of the Angels, you mentioned Brad having not been to the, the postseason in some time, having not won a, a World Series now in over uh, two decades. So from from the managerial perspective, where you know there are so many strings being pulled from up top, the front office, you're just there. Like you know, when you were there, you're managing the day to day. How do you go about that? Like, it, what what sense is there from inside that clubhouse when you know you have two two three legit stars? They're all basically in, in some sort of former fashion injured to whatever certain degrees they are. Like, how do you even keep a, a clubhouse bonded when you know you're just kind of in this weird purgatory kind of in-between position where you know you're not really a contender, but you've obviously got this giant asset that you don't really know what's going to happen going forward? You know, you, you obviously want those guys back. You want Trouty back. You want Shohei completely healthy. You want Rendon back uh, because he's an impact player well, as well. I know he hasn't, hasn't uh, hit the ball as well as he has in the past, and he's had some injuries in the last few years. But just having his presence in the lineup and on the field is a difference maker. Um, so as a manager, you try, to, you try to basically have no rearview mirror. You don't want people to look at what happened yesterday. Don't concern yourself with the last game or don't concern yourself with, with that player being injured because there's nothing you can do about it. The only thing you can do is hope somebody steps up in the role for Mike Trout, for Shohei Otani, for Anthony Rendon. If they can fill those shoes, not for a season, not for a career for sure, but if they can fill those shoes for four weeks, we got a chance. And so you don't look past today. You don't look, you don't look at what happened yesterday. It's only about winning the game today and winning the series at hand. That's as far as you look. Brad, as a former player and a former manager, 
Take me through the mindset. I know for you, for the players, it's every at bat and take it game by game. But when you're sitting right now in early July, uh, about seven, eight games back, it, it, when we as we break down the games, we think, oh, that's a pretty tough lead, but it can be overcome because you see the Reds have a 12 game winning streak or what have you. What's kind of the number that you're looking at from a front office standpoint, a player standpoint that, hey, we can catch this team in front of us. We still think we have the talent in the room. You know what's funny? Front offices tend to generally look at the negative side like, uh, okay, our our playoff odds are X, yeah. and those aren't great. You know, we have a we have a twenty two percent chance of making the playoffs. You know, in their minds, it's a seventy eight percent seventy eight percent chance they're not going to make the playoffs. When you're in uniform, it's the opposite. You're the glass half full. It's the okay, we got a twenty two percent chance. We rattle off. Eight of ten, it's a whole new ball game. Uh, so the people in uniform, they don't quite look at it as logically as the front office does. They look at it from a, we're still in this. We're still in the fight. That's a great point. Ben, by the way, we're not going to have too many people, unless they went to school at Dartmouth, going to give us X as an example here. Yeah, Run a little fair. algebra for us. <laughs> I'm all, thank you for, yes, make, <laughs> making that point. I uh, mean, Brad Osmus, the pride, pride, of, uh, pride of Dartmouth here. We're talking with Brad Osmus, former longtime big league player and manager of the Angels here on Sharp Money. And you, know, you think about just the state from, and from your perspective, having been a catcher and, and how we're now seeing things change within the game and how we can use it. We're, we're talking betting and every single day we always look at the starting pitchers. That's, that's the first place we're looking at. Uh, as as you've watched the game kind of transition, and now that we have have the pitch clock, pitch com, have you noticed anything quantifiable now, even in the last two, three years, that feels different from the way younger pitchers are coming up uh, with relation to how how the catching, uh, the relationship goes when you now have the pitch com, you have the pitch clock. Anything that's been notable for you that's been a, a big change that you might not have noticed five, six years ago? Well, the, the pitch com is a change, and the pitch clock on top of the pitch com is definitely a change, and it's a change even getting uh, – uh, base running control signs from the dugout as a catcher. So that that's definitely changed. It's sped things up. You've had to streamline things to make it happen uh, more quickly. Um, I think the biggest change over the last, this is, I'm going to go a little bit farther, probably the last 10 years, mm-hmm. is the scouting reports prepared for the opposing hitters is almost entirely based on data. Almost entirely, there's they've kind of you know everyone's got these wristbands on, telling them what they can and can't throw, and uh, first pitch or two strikes or runners in scoring position, and it's a little bit scripted. There was not a lot of feel involved, and I, and I think to some degree that's not great. I, I I'm a big believer, and I, I use the numbers as a catcher. I use the limited data we had at those times. We they, they obviously have much more accurate data now, but you have to be able to as a catcher, sit behind home plate, have the entire field in front of you, have the pitcher in front of you, having watched him for now three innings, having watched this lineup come through at least once, you have to be able to make an adjustment if the adjustment needs to be made. Um, And I think that feel has been lost on a lot of catchers because all they do is stare at the wristband. They don't do any of the prep work. The prep work is handed to them. And that's that's a little bit different than than when I was playing. Brett, we got about thirty seconds remaining. Does that take away from your ability as a catcher to kind of manage and get a feel for the game? Because the one thing that drives me nuts today is you played in an era where there are great pitchers like Pedro and Randy Johnson. And to me, they don't allow them to go deep into games. So much of it is, oh, he's facing the lineup for the third time. Listen, this guy's still getting everybody out. 
I do. I do. I do think. I do think a lot of the feel in the game for for pitchers and catchers has been removed. Um, don't get me wrong. The, the, the numbers don't lie. The third sure. time through the lineup, it, it is tougher. But you still need a couple horses in your rotation that can do that to take the stress off the bullpen, take the stress off the back end of the rotation. Um, it, it's it's not a it's it's not a computer game. Uh, it's moved that in that direction, but I do think the feel has been. It's, it's definitely disappeared to some degree. Yeah, no question. Brad, we can't thank you enough for the time. Really appreciate uh, all the insights. All right, guys. And Brad thank Osmus you. joining us right now. By the way, a few weeks from now will be the 30th anniversary of Brad Osmus's big league debut. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. A nice, a nice note from July, I believe, July 26th in, uh, in 1993. But that was like the stat we were saying earlier. CC Sabathia, that 08 year, 17 starts, seven complete games. Wow. There's no way that ever happens again in a 17 start sample size. Sure doesn't no seem way. like it. Nope. No way. All right, that's another hour of us in the books here on Sharp Money. When we return, we'll talk some more Major League Baseball as well as NFL season win totals with Scott Spritzer up next. This is Sharp Money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw on VSIN, the sports betting network. Back for our final hour on Sharp Money, live from Las Vegas in the South Point Sportsbook Studios. I'm Ben Wilson in for Patrick. Next couple of days, Amal Shaw with me, Dustin Swedelson behind the glass. Amal and I are watching uh, the just this endless Maxime Cressy, uh, Laszlo Dieri match where it seems like we're in, we're in auto tiebreak mode. Might might be that way for five sets. That's how we're spending our uh, our Wednesday afternoon here at the South Point. Well, we're not watching anymore because ESPN needs to go to around the horn, so we can't watch live sports. But that's good. Oh wow! Oh great. Well, that just ruined my day. Anyway, we well, have Scott Spicer to help make up for that, though, which which is good. Scott joins us. We'll talk some NFL, talk some baseball with Scott. Give him a follow at Scott Wins. It's, it's great to see you, Scott. Uh, re- ready to go here talking all things NFL. I was I was thinking about this earlier from the perspective. We, we did the whole thing, breaking down the, you know, the Josh Allen comments on his wide receiver, Stefan Diggs, and how stories like that, like they, they're always like the thing we tend to talk about in the media this time of year, July into August, when we're, th- we're in that slow buildup toward NFL. From, from your perspective, when you, when you think about the overall season-long betting implications of, of different topics around the league, what are, what are things that actually move the needle to you? Because I would imagine it's not, oh, Stefan Diggs, he's complaining about wanting more targets. Like, what is it that actually is something that you will actually hone in on compared to some of these other media topics? He's like, you know, free, free agent acquisitions, uh, how coaches are getting along with players if they're new coaches in new locales, what they've done. If, they're, if they haven't been in the business of being a head coach for too long, what they've done as far as preparing their units for an upcoming season, things like that. So it's fun, man. I, you know, I'll have that stuff on in the background. I have you guys on in the background when I'm working on my games and working on the upcoming season. And I like to listen to some of the, you know, talk that's going on in the locker room besides just the betting talk. And you guys do both. So uh, it's always good to have on in the background, but for me, it's all about, man, I want to know who's lighted up against who I want to know, you know, this tight end that just came in, is he actually going to start for the team this year or sit the bench, all that kind of stuff. And I'm really digging deep. You got to really dig and you got to do a whole lot of reading in the summertime, which uh, isn't too bad. You know, I have, and I'm not talking about Stephen King. I'm talking about, you know, trying yeah, to find everything you can uh, between the lines when it comes to reading some of these uh, beat writers posts. Scott, uh, I know you've got a couple of bets on the NFL. Give us some insight into what you're looking at early on in terms of maybe some plays you're looking to make, but also kind of how you reach the conclusion, because still a long way to go. We haven't gone through training camp yet, so maybe some insights for people that may not bet the NFL as frequently or definitely not as early. 
One of the things I like to do, guys, first of all, when it comes to over-under wins and figuring out the strength of a schedule uh, for a team, I let, I let the guys behind the counter do most of the work for me. You know, they're going to set up each team and their opponents and how many wins are projected that you can bet on uh, over-under for all of those teams. So you can get a good idea on the upcoming season and the strength of the teams these teams are going to play rather than looking at what those teams did the year before. So I let the bookmakers do a lot of that work for me. But what I'm also looking at, guys, I really like to look at teams that were uh, projected to have extremely good years or extremely bad years and did just the opposite. If a team was expected to win 10 or 11 games in the NFL, get to the postseason, and something odd, something weird happened, or maybe they had a bunch of close losses during the course of the season uh, that came down to maybe a bad play call here or just bad luck, I'll look to play on those teams if they're teams that underachieved the year before, and I'll look to play under against the teams that overachieved from where they should have been. So a lot of metrics come into the mix, DVOAs, things of that nature. Yeah, and one team that naturally stands out, it's the Indianapolis Colts, who a lot of very respected betters loved to go deep, win the division, even make a Super Bowl run last year. Now they fall flat on their face, end up with the fourth overall pick. They have a new quarterback in Anthony Richardson. We don't know yet if he'll be the day one starter with Gardner Minshew now also in the mix. With a win total of six and a half, how do you view this potential bounce back season playing out for a Colt team that is in some flux, but also in a division that has wins out there to be had? Yeah, not the worst division to be in if you're looking to make a move, and that's the Indianapolis Colts this year. You know, you remember last year they tied that opener against Houston. They followed that with an ugly loss to the Jags. Then they go 3-1 and one their next four. They, that included a win over Kansas City, but then the wheels fell off. That offensive line was horrible. I mean, call it like it is. They were terrible at pass blocking. They failed the offense. They failed Matty Ice, Matt Ryan. You mentioned they got a couple of the guys that are going to be taking snaps this year in Minshew and potentially Anthony Richardson. Uh, the offensive line has been upgraded, and both of those guys are going to be more mobile than Matty Ice was. Uh, you still got Jonathan Taylor at running back. You've still got a solid receiving core. And I was looking at like what they did last season, so kind of based on what I just said when we opened the show about what I'm looking for. As you mentioned, uh, Ben, last season, Indy was a lot of folks, well, one of their favorites to maybe challenge Buffalo and, and Kansas City in the AFC, and they fell flat on their face. They had six one-score losses last year. They had seven games where they went 0-6-1 by a grand total of 20 combined points. Uh, they had three losses by one point each, and then, of course, the overtime game. So you're talking about 0-3-1 by a grand total of three points. That's how close this team was to winning another maybe four, maybe even five games. So they had all those issues going on with that offensive line. They had a mess full of turnovers, and yet they still came within just those points that I just mentioned of being a team that could have won eight games last year instead of winning four. Uh, I think they've got a great chance to be five and five going into their bye week in week 11. And by far to me, worst case scenario is that this team needs one more win to get over six and a half over the final two games of the season. Both of those games are at home. Both of those games come against Houston and the Raiders. I'm betting if it's worst case scenario and I need a win to get to seven, they're going to at least go one and one against the Texans and the Raiders in Indy at the end of the year. I, I do believe this team wins eight games. I don't think we're going to get to that worst case scenario. They were so close last year to winning seven or eight games. Scott, you mentioned the AFC South. South excuse me. Let's stay in that division right now. I don't understand the affinity for Tennessee. Maybe you see it differently. Tell me where you come in on the Titans a little bit. 
I don't either. I, I think seven and a half wins is, you know, projected a little bit too high last check when I looked at their wins total. And I haven't jumped in to play under with this team yet. But, you know, when I look inside the division, there's not a whole lot of separation. And I don't see Tennessee being a team that goes out and wins nine games to win this division. So I'm with you, Amal. I think Tennessee is a little bit overrated, overhyped. I think I got their wins total wrong, but they're, but they're overhyped when it goes into this season. And I, I don't believe you're going to see great quarterback play out of this team. They need to get better up front. Uh, and they've got to be able to pass the football and not just in desperation mode. I don't see that out of this Tennessee team this year. And it, it is a team second to fiddle right now in the division odds, plus 425, seven and a half on the win total. It and it's one, and two. Yeah, yeah. And you can look some of these season long player totals. I'm, I'm definitely somebody looking to fade Derrick Henry this year where he was at 1200 and a half yards at one point with arguably the worst offensive line in the NFL entering this season. So there's a lot of different angles you can look at. I know one you're, you're trying to target is in Detroit where you have Amon Ross St. Brown and the Detroit Lions, a team that is expected to take a leap forward under head coach Dan Campbell. How are you looking to attack him specifically now with having another year to work with the QB and Jared Goff. I played him on Ross St. Brown over 1,000 and a half receiving yards. So we need a thousand and one or more uh, out of St. Brown. I did see one book about a week ago, guys that had the over under at 949 and a half receiving yards. Oof. If you don't mind laying on some juice, I don't know if it's still out there it was out there a week ago. Uh, but the bottom line is, is that if you shop around, you should be able to find a decent number. If you don't mind laying a little more juice, I am fine with a thousand and a half at this point. And by the way, before I forget that same book had St. Brown at 20 to one to lead the NFL and receptions, but my play is to go over that receiving yards prop. Uh, he's been close to 100 receptions per season through his first couple. Uh, his numbers went up last season. The Lions passing DVOA, and this is important to me going into a new season, but their passing DVOA went from 28th two years ago to fifth in the league last year. So you got Goff back. You've got St. Brown back. Obviously, one of the key cogs has been Johnson, the offensive coordinator. He's back with Detroit with this nucleus. And they attempted the 10th most passes last year, which I'm not sure they want to be throwing the ball that much this year. They want to be out in front in a couple of these games. But I still don't think even if that drops a little bit that uh, St. Brown is going to suffer. 25% of the targets went to St. Brown, or 24.8% to be exact. There's no more DJ Chark. There's no more TJ Hawkinson. There's no more DeAndre Swift. They've all moved on to other teams. First six games of the season, they're without Jamison Williams, who's suspended. Uh, so he's going to get even more targets, more looks. I know mm -hmm. they picked up Marvin Jones uh, in the free agency season. But listen, the offensive line is terrific. I like the way golf looks. I think he looks at St. Brown, almost like he looked at Cooper Cup when he was in Southern California throwing passes for the Rams. So he's going to continue to throw the ball to this guy even more. I like the tight end acquisition of the draft of Laporta makes him uh, miss Hawkinson a little bit less. So barring injury, I think he tops that 1000 and a half yards. I'm on St. Brown. I, I'm on Ross St. Brown. I went ahead and played it over. Yeah. I like that play there and you brought, broke down a number of reasons why it's justified, but I think he's emerging as a top elite receiver in the national football league. Really like that play you have there. I want to ask you a question regarding divisions. We were talking about the AFC South a minute ago. Detroit, obviously, in the NFC North, a team that's a favorite there as well. Um, is there a certain price point that you would sit there and say, okay, I can bet this or I can't bet it? And the reason why I say that is the Jags are a minus favorite in, to win the AFC South. But is there a number you would take on a minus side, or does it have to be on a plus side to be able to bet a division prop? For me, in that division, I would probably have to go plus money them all. Uh, I don't think I can lay the price. Same with you when you look at like the, uh, you know, the Jacksonville uh, leading division with nine and a half over under wins total. I would still not want to lay a price with Jacksonville. That team could fall off by two or three games from where they were last season. So for me with Detroit, I would have to have plus money.
Again, Scott Spritzer joining us right now at DocSports.com, where you see uh, his work talking some NFL. We'll talk some MLB after the break. I wanted to bring this up before we hit a break, though. We were tweeted at by uh, Jesse uh, saying, Stephon Diggs, 22-1, to Offensive Player of the Year, making the case, okay, if it's a maybe a force-fed season a la a Cooper Cup a couple years ago, could he be a, a dark horse shot to throw at? What, what do you make of uh, the, the Diggs option here at, at a 22-1 to price? Absolutely. He's going to be fine once the season gets underway. Stay away from the soap opera and the drama and all that kind of stuff. I don't mind 22 to 1. And I'm even looking at St. Brown if I can still find 20 to 1 to be in the NFL receiving leader as far as receptions are concerned. He's going to be the primary guy times 10, not just the primary guy for this Detroit yeah. offense, at least for the first six weeks and then beyond, even when they get uh, Jamison Williams back. But yeah. as far as Stephon Diggs, yeah, I got no problem with that at all. 22 to one. No, Dad, I like the, the word choice that Jesse used in, in the tweet of all was fade the summertime noise. I, not, nothing better than fading summertime noise in my Absolutely. opinion. Absolutely. Yep. I know you, you agree with that. Amal. I do agree with you. I think it's, it's <laughs> nonsense. It's, it, yeah. Listen, it's hard to come up with stories. Hell, Dustin and I talk about what are we going to talk about today? I mean, so, I mean, can you imagine if you got to write on the <laughs> Buffalo Bills? I mean, yeah. Well, we found out Dustin played tennis back in his youth, Scott. So that was one thing that came out of today. That's all. That's all I know. Uh, we're going to talk some baseball with Scott. He has a couple plays on the card today. One game has gone final already. If you missed that, Astros win and cover the run line 6-4 over Colorado. We'll talk some more Major League Baseball with Scott Spritzer on the other side right here on VEASAN's Sharp Money. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 